Ever since man fell away from God, there have been those who were absolutely anti-God, those who kind of claimed God, but they went along to get along. And then there are those who really stand true to God, but they're hiding. They don't let people know. Well, that's exactly what was going on in the place where I'm standing right now. It's Mount Carmel. Ahab and Jezebel were ruling Israel, and they were absolutely anti-God. They were worshiping Baal, this evil false god, and so many of God's people were not rejecting God, but, but also worshiping Baal, going along to get along, not standing on the values of God's truth with absolute conviction, and then all the rest were hiding in caves. And it was into that very dark season of humanity that a guy named Elijah comes out and did what so very few people have ever done in history. He spoke truth to power, no matter what the cost. All the evil forces and, and false priests worshiping Baal were brought together with King Ahab, and Elijah came up with an idea. Let's compare gods. They set up two altars here on Mount Carmel, and, and he said, you who worship Baal, put a sacrifice on that altar and ask him to send down fire. And they did, from morning until midday. They, they called on him, they begged him, they cut themselves, they did anything they could to rouse him from his sleep. And then Elijah started mocking them. Maybe he's at the bathroom, maybe he's on vacation, and ultimately they failed. And then he put a sacrifice on his altar and poured water on it time and time again. And then he just said, God, show these people who's really God. And here on Mount Carmel, God sent down that fire, showed his power, and the people started worshiping him again, following him again. Well, that is a phenomenal story that God has given us in the Bible, but I want to give a little bit of applause to those who just performed it in that way. Didn't they do a great job? Fantastic. If you're a guest here, you might not know that uh, Northridge really is all about people using their gifts, their God-given gifts, to communicate God's love and truth in this world, to be involved in declaring him. Northridge is committed to communicating God's truth in a relevant way, and so taking the God's truth and, and putting it in a language that we can all understand it. And I, I tell you, the, the investment these volunteers and this team has made is just, blows my mind. It's a privilege to do ministry with them, and it's a privilege to have you here as we continue in this series, Origins. But I tell you, there is a reason that God gave us the story of Elijah. In fact, there's a reason that God's given us all the stories in the Bible, and I think there are a lot of times we don't think about it. He actually tells us that all of these stories are given as an example for us, for our lives, to show us what he can and do in and through us. In fact, look at how God says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 and 11. He says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. These things happened to them as examples to us. They were written down as warnings on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. And so here we have Elijah on Mount Carmel. It's an amazing story of 
an amazing moment in one amazing man's life, a man who literally changed his world. But it's so easy to get caught up in amazing Elijah and to miss the whole point. Because God didn't give us this story so that we could celebrate one man who lived long ago. He gave this story to us as an example for us, for what he wants to do in and through our lives, for what he wants to do with our story. So don't separate yourself from this story. God wants you to see the opportunities he's given you in this story. But to really see what he wants for you, we have to understand it. And to understand the story, we have to know a little bit about the context. And so let's look at Elijah's context in this story, his setting. The context was absolutely godless. He lived in a very dark, a very dysfunctional and distorted culture and world. It was godless. Now that doesn't mean that they weren't worshiping because they were worshiping. There's no way that human beings can live without worshiping. We, we bow down to something. We revere something. We look to something. We trust in something. We devote ourselves to something. And so they were doing that, but it was to false gods, to idols, to fake gods. And when you decide that you're going to worship not the one true God, God with a big G, the only God that truly is, and because of him all exists, when you decide you're not going to worship him, but you're going to worship some little G God, some false God, or lift up something that's not God, you become godless. Because that means you're devoting your life to and living your life for that which is not a God. You might call it God, but it's not real. It's fake. So you become godless. That's the culture in which Elijah found himself. It was godless. Israel was in a mess. For 60 years, they had been following ungodly kings and As a result of the ungodly kings, the people of Israel rebelled against God for those 60 years. But now, in this moment in Elijah's life, this moment when Mount Carmel occurs, they're experiencing the worst of the worst. The present king and the present times are the worst of all. Look at 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 through 30. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, get what the Bible says here. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. I mean, for 60 years, there have been messed up dysfunctional kings. But this guy is going to be more perverse and bring more degradation and destruction into this nation that's supposed to represent God than any other king before him. And one of the reasons was his wife. To which some of you husbands said, no kidding. Uh, But that's really not fair because the same thing happens with wives and husbands. Bad company can corrupt good character. But the real issue here is that Ahab did something that God said never do. He married someone who was absolutely anti-God, worshiping the worst kinds of gods, and that corrupted him. And ultimately, because of his wife Jezebel, they introduced Baal and the worship of Baal 
as the national religion in Israel. And this was messed up stuff because, because Baal was the primary deity for the Canaanites, the, the people that God was allowing his people to replace. But they took his God, their God, the God of fertility. Baal worship included just, just bizarre things. Drunken orgies, deg- degrading sexual rites between people and animals, all in public, and animal sacrifices. But beyond that, the sacrifice of human beings, all to simply try and get Baal to spread his fertility. And because of Baal worship being such a primary part of, of Israel's culture at this time, Most in Elijah's day didn't know the one true God. They didn't know the God with the big G. And for those who did, it was a very dangerous time. I mean, in a world where such a dysfunctional God is the primary point of worship, those who would stand up for the one true God, the only God, the God who said you can't worship other gods were not secure, they were not safe, they were in a culture where it was politically incorrect to worship anyone but Baal, to hold up anyone but Baal, or to claim there was only one God, as the big G God says you should. And so Baal worship made it a scary day for those who would follow God. It was a dangerous time to take a stand for him, and so most didn't. They, they did what made sense to them. I mean, since life is so important, since life is the biggest thing to most of us, they decided that they would practice their faith in private rather than putting their lives at risk, that they would practice their faith in the true God in secret. They went into hiding. And this wasn't just the people who followed God. The Bible says ultimately there were about 7,000 who didn't follow Baal, but it was also their prophets. Look at how the Bible describes it in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 13 to 14. Um, A guy named Obadiah was a servant to King Ahab, this brutal king. But he was a believer, the Bible says. And he's talking to Elijah now, the great prophet who stood on Mount Carmel. and And he says to Elijah, haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? See, it was a dangerous time to go public for your faith. He says, I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. He says, I I put even those who could proclaim truth in caves. I mean, they're all hiding for their lives. And, And then he goes to Elijah. And now you tell me to go to my master, King Ahab, the one who kills people who follow God. And, and I'm supposed to say, Elijah is here. Will he not kill me? I mean, what he's saying is, if I go and tell him I know where Elijah is, that means I know Elijah. That means I'm in cahoots with a prophet of God. That means I'm a goner. And you know, it's a dangerous time to declare publicly your faith. That's not politically correct. I mean, it's okay to believe, but just do it in private. He says, man, that's just not what I'm about. And here's what you need to see. They believed in God, these few, And that was great because believing in God was certainly better than dismissing him. But they believed in God in private. They they kept silent. They didn't take a stand. Doesn't his context sound a lot like our context today? I mean, it doesn't take a leap to get there. Most people in our world, come on, they don't have an unwavering faith in the one true God with a big G. They've replaced him with all kinds of small g gods of all kinds of things. 
whether money or fame or power or whatever it is, materialism. There's all kinds of little g-gods around. But you know what that makes them? It makes them godless, even in our world. As they say, you know, it doesn't matter what god you worship, as long as you're sincere and all gods lead to the same place and there's not just one God and anyone who claims to there's just one God has to be has to be pushed aside we can't we have to tolerate everyone but those who say there's only one God and we can't tolerate those isn't that the world we live in and and here's the deal we live in a godless culture just like Elijah did because a fake God is no God at all and if you're worshiping a fake God who's no God at all what are you you're godless and that's exactly the world he lived in. It's the world we live in. And most today, who do believe in the big G God, tend to keep their faith quiet, don't they? I mean, there's too much to lose when it's so politically incorrect to make a stand for Jesus being the way, the truth, and life, the only way, and his truth being absolute in spite of culture's immoral progressions. I mean, it only makes sense. It's good to believe, but we keep our faith quiet and private and secret. This way we can keep our jobs and our friends and we can keep moving up the ladders of success in our culture. And so what happens is many in our culture use church as a cave. It's the cave we hide in. I mean, when you walk in the cave, you can lift your hands and go, Jesus, you know? But you're in a cave with other people in the cave and no one out there knows and no one's going to tell because, my gosh, if they find out out there, we're all dead. So we come in here and we sing our songs and we say our words and make our declarations and we go, I love Jesus. You love Jesus. Who loves Jesus? We all love Jesus. And we just do our little cave stuff in here in hiding. But then when we go out into the real world, whew, keep it quiet, baby. Because we don't want to be taken down. Most people, believers included, because they've decided that they're going to believe but be private about it, live very typical lives. Pretty unknown, pretty typical, pretty normal. Make no real big difference in the world. Boy, that's a lot like Elijah's day because we know nothing about these people who were cave dwellers. The only one we know about is Elijah. But when you really think about it, whether it's Elijah's day or our day, there's only one reason to hide our faith in God. There's, there's only one way to keep it secret. Fear, right? Fear. It's the only reason to be a private believer. Which doesn't really make sense if God is really who we say he is. If God's the one who created the universe, if God's the one who can provide where there is no provision, if God's the one with whom nothing is impossible, if God is the one who can part the Red Sea, if God is the one who can help David take down Goliath, if God is who we say he is, it doesn't even make sense to live in fear because he's bigger than any of our challenges, any of our giants, any of our problems, any of our King Ahabs, anything that's politically incorrect. He's bigger than all of that. Right? And yet, this is where they were, and this is where we were. Except for one thing. Elijah was different. And remember, Elijah is not someone we're to hold up as at odds with who God's created us to be. He's an example for who God wants us to be. Now, Elijah's 
motivation should really help us since he's an example of what God wants to do in and through our story. I mean, so he's in a context that's godless where it's not really the smartest of things to go public with your faith and to speak truth to power and to show God's love in this world, not in this world, but yet he does. Why? What's his motivation? Well, Elijah's motivation is simple. It was to turn people to the one true God. He saw the whole world living in distortion to what God had created them for, living lives of emptiness and worthlessness, living lives of darkness and dysfunction. He saw people looking for fulfillment in all the wrong things and only finding emptiness. He saw all this junk and he knew there was only one thing that could fill this dark world with light and that was the source of light, God himself. He wanted to wake the world up to God because when they woke up to God, they would finally find what they were looking for. But, but he couldn't wake them up to God in a cave. He couldn't shine the light of, of God in the darkness if he was hiding in a cave and so he had to come out. Elijah's motivation was to turn people to the one true God. Look at 1 Kings 18, 37. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. When he was in the moment of crisis, when he was on Mount Carmel, when he was, when he was saying, God, you've got to show up, and the reason you have to show up is because these people need to know you're real and Baal is fake. His motivation was to turn people to the one true God. So what did Elijah have to do? He had to come out into the open. And Why was he willing to come out in the open? What did he have that others didn't have? What made him willing to risk his life and his security and his comfort to go public when everyone else, including all the prophets, were in caves? Well, the answer is really simple. He had faith enough to change his life. He had faith that others didn't have. He had a faith that set him apart. He had a faith that changed the way he lived. In fact, Elijah had a faith that was absolutely founded in the idea that God genuinely lives. I mean, the people hiding in caves claiming to believe in God didn't look, at least, like they really believed he was alive because if they believed God was alive, they wouldn't have been afraid of Ahab, right? But Elijah had a faith that God truly lived. He said it himself. Look at 1 Kings 17.1 and I'm going to show you three huge principles of his faith from this one verse, 1 Kings 17.1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, he was speaking to power, to the one who was killing people for making declarations of truth, he pointed his finger in his chest and said, as the Lord, the God of Israel, what? Ooh. The only reason he could come out of the cave and he could stand in front of this man who was killing anyone who he wanted and put his finger in his chest and tell him truth was because as sure as the Lord my God lives because God's alive you are puny to me because God is alive. You have nothing on me because God is alive. I don't have to fear you because he put breath into your lungs. He can take breath out of your lungs. You're not God. You're not supreme and nor is your fake little G God. My God lives and I'm going to speak truth to you. Now that was a faith that set him apart. He didn't sing about faith. He didn't talk about faith. He didn't philosophize about faith. 
His faith said, my God's alive and I'm going to act like it. I'm not going to go into hiding. I have nothing to fear. Wow. Elijah believed his God was alive and real and bigger than his circumstances and bigger than Ahab. No need to hide because his faith made a difference in how he lived. Isn't it sad that we live in a day when a lot of people declare faith but it doesn't make a difference in how they live? Isn't it sad that so often in my life, and I'm just being honest, I speak with great power about faith but my life doesn't necessarily display that great power his faith made a difference because he believed that God lives and it didn't stop there he had a faith that God keeps his promises not only was God alive not only did God create not only did God set things in motion but God keeps his promises he's active, involved. Look at 1 Kings 17, 1 again. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now I have to tell you, this is crazy man talk for a lot of reasons. I mean, you just read through that and go, oh, somebody's telling them it's not going to rain for a couple of years. Okay, you know, and you just like, you don't think about it. First of all, isn't it kind of weird that a guy would say it's not going to rain for three and a half years except at my word? That's weird. I mean, it's weird because no human being has control over the rain. So it's trying to tell us something here, whether we see it or not. Also, a lot of people, if you've been a part of this series, Origins Old Testament Edition, a lot of the stories of the Old Testament come out of the desert Judean wilderness, place where there is no rain. In fact, our first talk in this series was at En Gedi, and En Gedi was a miracle of God because in the middle of a place where there was no water, God provided water like out of the rocks. And so a lot of people are going, he said, wasn't going to rain? Of course not. That's like predicting, you know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. No, not at Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is like God's vineyard. Mount Carmel is always green. Mount Carmel was unbelievably fertile. It was the center of the agrarian economy of the time. This is where they made their money. This is where stuff grew. This is where you could count on rain and dew and water. This was the supply. You threaten a king with the center of his economy and you're threatening him with the big stuff and he's coming up to Ahab and he's saying, I'm telling you right now, pal, everything you count on, I'm taking away. Now, it's really a bold statement for a human being to do. And a lot of people go, whoa, God must have shown up and given him a special word. Do I have a witness? You know, I mean, that's kind of what's going on. A lot of people go, an angel of the Lord must have shown up and... Gabriel must have come down and blown his trumpet and said, it's not going to rain. And God must have shown up in a theophany or Christophany. Something supernatural is going on. He had a word because no one acts like this unless God whispers in his ear. The only problem is that's not what the Bible says. There's no angel of the Lord showing up. The Bible talks about that sometimes, not here. There's no, you know, theophany, Christophany. There's no special word. And yet he's doing it weird. And the New Testament gives us a little bit of an insight into it. And this, I've heard this preached a lot. In James chapter 5, verse 17, it's telling the story of Elijah and how he talked about no rain. And it says, Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And people go, I get it. I get it. 
he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and that's how he knew it wouldn't rain. I have a question for you. Have you ever prayed for anything that didn't happen? (laughs) There are people who've preached, and this is really messed up preaching, but there are people who have preached. He had enough faith that he prayed it wouldn't rain and God honored his faith. Because if you have enough faith, God has to do what you're saying. I've heard this spoken. The only problem is that means if you have enough faith, you're God, he's not. Let me tell you, if you have enough faith and you ask for the wrong thing, you're going to get sweet beggar nothing from God. But I have people judging all the time. If you're not getting what you're praying for, it's because you don't have enough faith. If God's not moving with what you're asking for, you don't have enough faith. That is garbage. That is not true, and that's not what's going on in here. Yes, he prayed. There's no doubt about it. And yes, God withheld rain. There's no doubt about it. But it's not like he ate Mexican food the night before, woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and had a weird, bizarre dream that it shouldn't rain, and he started praying for it. It's not like he had a whim that he wanted for. It's not that he pulled it out of the air and said, I want this, God, now you do it, I believe. What he was doing was simply holding God to a promise. He was literally having faith in the fact that this God who lives also keeps his promises, and he was simply praying And saying, I'm going to stand on the promise you made. What's that promise? Well, look at Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 16 and 17. God's talking to them before they go into the promised land. And he says through Moses, be careful, or you're going to be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Because when you go into the promised land, you're going to have your needs met. I'm going to have prospered you and provided for you. And you're going to start seeing the provision as more important than the provider and you're going to start being led to worship other gods. Don't do it. You're going to be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow to them. But don't do it because then the Lord's anger will burn against you. Now get this. And he will shut the heavens so that it will not, what? Whoa. And the ground will yield no produce. And you'll soon perish from the good land to the Lord that the Lord is giving you. Where are they? They're in the good land that the Lord was giving to them. What have they done? They've been enticed to worship other gods, the God of Baal. And what had God promised would happen? He'd stop the rain. He'd stop the rain. Elijah wasn't some great man of faith who could make God bow and bend to his whim. No man has that kind of faith. Elijah was a man who simply had faith in the God who was great enough to fulfill and keep his promises. And he was saying, God, I'm just asking you, you said that you'd shut off the rain, even in a place like Mount Carmel, if your people worshipped other gods, do it. Elijah only had what we had. He only had what we have, the promises that God's given in his word. He only had the Old Testament scriptures. He only had the text. No angels whispering in his ears that we see here. What made him unique in his ability to stand up to Ahab was that he believed God's promises so much that he was willing to stake his life on them. That's faith. 
And by the way, this thing about rain, it even takes on more meaning when you really understand what's going on because this God that they had started worshiping, the God of Baal, this God of fertility, rain was his gig. Because if you were going to make the land fertile, what did it require? And so, and I'm going to now share with you why we have a kids' ministry. The rain was considered the sperm of Baal. And the reason they did so many public degradating sexual acts where they were releasing their you know, fertility into the world was because they were trying to wake up and stir Baal, the god of fertility, to release his fertility, sperm, rain, into the world. This is just messed up stuff, right? And so what Elijah's saying is they think Baal's doing this god and you're the one that's doing this and you said you'd shut off the fertility and so here's what I'm asking you to do. God, give Baal a vasectomy. Turn it off. And God's big enough so that even if Baal had the blue pill, it wouldn't have worked. I'm just telling you. God is bigger than any challenge. And Elijah didn't hide in a cave because he believed that God was alive and God kept his promises. We live in caves because we don't believe it. We sing it. We say it. We don't believe it. He did. He had a faith that went even further. He had a faith that serving God is the only worthy investment of a life. He had a faith that literally said, serving God is the only worthy investment of a life. Look at how he says it in 1 Kings 17.1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve. Everyone else was serving Ahab or everyone else was being controlled by Ahab. Those hiding in caves, what were they being controlled by? Ahab. They were being controlled by the desperate attempt to keep their lives. They believed that serving God was okay up to the point of their life and comfort being at risk. And so they stopped at that point. But Elijah said, look it, serving God is the only worthy investment of my life. In fact, I'm willing to lose my life to serve God. He's the only thing worth living for or dying for. Elijah genuinely believed that he was called to stand for and represent God in this world. And so he did. His faith made it impossible for him to hide in a cave. And note this, the only reason God unleashed his power on Mount Carmel through Elijah was because Elijah wasn't seeking God's power for his own benefit. Elijah was seeking God's power for the benefit of others so that they could see who the real God was. He wasn't trying to get God to give him power so he'd be elevated and he'd be lifted up and he'd become somebody. No, he was risking his own life. He was wanting God to show up because he wanted God to get honor for being the big G God that he was. And God loves to pour out his power on people that aren't trying to use him for their benefit, but trying to release him for the benefit of others. This guy's, this guy's awesome. 
And you know what the impact of this guy was in this godless culture where he was this man of faith? Do you know what the impact of Elijah's life was? Many turned to God. Many, many multitudes turned to God. Wasn't that his whole mission? Wasn't that his whole desire? Wasn't that his heartbeat? His heart's desire was realized. Many turned to God. Look at 1 Kings 18, 39. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Many turned to God. It would have never happened if he was hiding in a cave. But because he came out and his faith truly was in the reality of God living and the reality of God's promises and the reality that serving God was more important than even surviving for him, many turned to God. Do you know why so few people in this world are going from not believing to saying the Lord he is God, the Lord he is God? It's because there are so few people willing to stand for faith the way he did Who wants to live their life for a God who's so puny his people have to live in a cave? They're already scared enough. Why do they need another God that leaves them fearful and afraid? Elijah's impact, many turned to God, but it goes beyond that. Elijah's impact was that he honored God. He honored God. And as a result, and this is always the way it works, he honored God, and so God honored him. This is how it works. You know that, right? All of us are looking for what only God can do in our lives, but we don't experience it because we're not honoring him. It's only when we honor God that we experience God honoring us, and that's what happened to Elijah. Elijah is not a special kind of person. Elijah just experienced our special God because he trusted in him more than most do. Remember, this is an example for what God wants to do in and through us. This is an example of the story that God wants to write with our lives. We don't experience it like the multitudes of people in Elijah's day because we're not honoring God. We're we're living for self-preservation. We're living for self-benefit. We're consuming life instead of investing it. And the fact that God honored him is seen in so many ways. It's seen by the fact that God sent fire down on Mount Carmel you know, all God had to do is not send the fire and it would have been over for Elijah. God sent the fire. God honored him. It's clear he was, at the end of his life, did you know he's one of the few people that didn't die physically? He didn't die physically. No funeral for Elijah. God sent down this whirlwind and he went up to heaven in a whirlwind. That is cool business. And it's not just any whirlwind. God also sent a chariot of fire pulled by horses of fire. And he didn't need the chariot. That was just for aesthetic value. It was like, it looked cooler. This guy, whoom. What was God saying? This was a special guy. And what made him special? Not Elijah himself. But God made him special because that's what God wants to do for everyone. God honored him. Elijah is mentioned more than any other from the prophet era. Uh, in the New Testament, he was mentioned nearly 30 times. And, and you want to know God honoring him. When, when Jesus went onto the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus decided to show the, div, the divinity, his, 
that he was God. He ripped off the veil of flesh and, and the light of God's Shekinah glory shined off of him at the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and two guys from the Old Testament showed up and were talking to Jesus when he was showing himself to be God, Yahweh. One of them was Moses and the other was, any, any care to guess? Yeah. Moses, one of the most powerful men in the Old Testament, did miracle after miracle to set the Jews free. It wasn't Moses doing the miracle, it was God. And they're speaking to Jesus. You know what the Bible's telling us? Jesus was the power of Moses. Elijah, this great prophet, did so many great things, you know, by him showing up, was saying, you know, the power of Elijah, that was Jesus. Man, he honored God and God honored him. But here's the truth I want you to get. It all boils down to the simple thought. He's no different than us. He's no different than anyone else. There's nothing extra special about Elijah. He didn't have any God-given advantages that set him apart. God didn't give him a head start in becoming some great man of God. He didn't remove the challenges. He didn't do anything like that at all. There was only one thing that set Elijah apart, just one thing, and we have it in our grasp. His choices set him apart. His choices. The truth is, Elijah's choices are what set him apart from everybody else. And we have those. Look at James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. You might want to circle this part in your Bible. Elijah was a man, these three words, just like who? Us. I don't know about you, when I read the Bible, I justify my own weakness by feeling like they're better than me somehow. But this one tears it down. Elijah was a man just like us. And yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain. And then he prayed earnestly again that it would rain and it rained. My gosh, a man just like us? Yeah, it wasn't the man, it was his God. It wasn't the man, it was his God. It's just that this man made the choice to believe in that God. We need to realize that Elijah was no different than us. He had fears and doubts and discouragements and weaknesses, just like we do. What allowed him to make such a significant difference in the world was the fact that he made different choices. And the same can be true for us. This is the application. If we want to make a difference in the world, we need to make the right choices. We want to live a life where we truly experience God in this world. We need to make different choices, the right ones. We want to live a life in fullness. We need to make the right choices. Look at 1 Kings 18, 21. It was the whole deal for Elijah. Elijah went before the people and said, How long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord's God, follow him. But if Baal's God, follow him. The people said nothing. There were some people absolutely committed to following Baal. There were other people absolutely committed to following God, though mostly in caves. And then there was this great group in the middle that said, I'll go with the flow. And that's the world we live in. There are even people who claim to be Christians who believe that, you know, it doesn't matter what God you believe in as long as you're sincere. All gods are basically the same and leave the same place. It's our faith that makes the difference, not the truth. That's just not, it's wrong. 
And Elijah was saying, you've got to make a choice. Are you going to follow the gods of this world or are you going to follow the one true God? Are you going to bow to political correctness and to what the culture deems as valuable or not valuable, true and not true? Or are you going to go with God? You've got to make a decision. Most didn't, then Elijah did. Whose story do you like better? If we're going to make a difference in this world, we need to make the right choices. We need to put our faith in God, just like Elijah did. We need to believe that he's real, that he's alive, that he's active, that he's powerful, that he's involved in our lives and our world. Here's the question. Do you? Do you believe that this big God's really alive? Or are you hiding? Does faith dominate your life or fear? I think it's time for believers to walk out of the cave, to walk out of secrecy, and to make a declaration. My God's bigger than the gods of this world. And you need them. It's the only way the world's ever going to change. We can sit around in our little cave here and talk about how bad the world is and morality is dissipating and diminishing. It's getting dark. It's world, oh dear Jesus, please come back. And by the way, I believe Jesus is going to come back, but because he hasn't come back yet, he doesn't want us cowering and in fear living in our cave until he does. You know what he wants us doing? He wants us to walk out on our Mount Carmel and he wants us to speak truth and power. He wants us to show his love in this world, tell his truth in this world, and get people involved in the only thing thing that's going to fulfill their longings in this world and that's God himself Jesus himself and it's time we join Elijah or we'll never ever see this world change and there are some of you right now listening to this talk you might be listening online or you might be right here I just want to encourage you you will never know what you're looking for until you take the step of faith until you put your faith in him You know, Jesus came down and lived the life that we failed to live. We've sinned, we've blown it, he never did. Then, Jesus died on a cross. Why? Because the wages of our sin was death. He never sinned, he died in our place. And then when he burst forth from the tomb, it was to give us new life. There's only one way you're going to get new life, and that's by putting your faith in him. It's not religion, it's faith. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. I think it's this moment when many of you just need to say, I'm going to put my faith in him. And so just before I finish the talk, I'm going to ask if you just bow with, your word on, bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment. And if you're already a Christ follower, I bet you, if you're at all like me, you've been challenged by this idea of Elijah versus your faith. Talk to God about it. Put your faith in him. But if you're here and you've never known him, pray with me. I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to encourage you to make my prayer the expression of your faith to God. Just say, God, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want to know you. But I need you to forgive me. I've sinned against you. I've walked away from you. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe when you rose again, it was to give me new life. I'm receiving it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Just before I finish the last part of the talk, if you're here and you just prayed with me, I just really want to encourage you. Take 
out the program we give to you and just tear out the connection card. You just fill it out and check off that circle at the bottom that says you prayed to receive Jesus. And then when you're leaving, there are boxes at every exit. It's true at all of our campuses. Just throw that in there and we'll do the rest. We have a a letter we'd love to send to you about next steps you can take in your relationship with God. And if you happen to be watching online, just hit the what next button on your screen and we'll do the same exact thing for you. So if we're going to make a difference in this world, we need to make the right choices. We need to put our faith in him. That's what Elijah did. What else did he do? We need to stake our lives on his promises. We need to stake our lives on his promises. We live in a world of broken promises, right? I mean, spouses make promises they don't keep. Employers make promises they don't keep. Employees make promises they don't keep. Neighbors make promises they don't keep. I still have my neighbor's tools. I don't know. You know, that kind of thing. And you know why we break promises? Because we lie. But look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. It is impossible for God to lie. You can stake your life on God's promises because God cannot lie. If he says it won't rain, if these circumstances take place, it's not going to rain. Elijah wasn't taking a risk. The risk is to think that God will lie, that his promises aren't true. Elijah was trusting God. Do you know God's given you a lot of promises? God's promised that he will provide for you. He'll always be with you. He'll always guide you. God's promised he'll always comfort you and protect and strengthen you. God's promised that he can take your brokenness and he can heal it. He can take your guilt and he can forgive it. And God's promised that he can give you new life. Life and life to the full now and, by the way, the hope of eternal life. He's made all of these promises. But most of us aren't staking our lives on them. Most of us can't even give out of the financial resources God's given to us because we need it for our security. That's our hope. That's our future, which says that we really don't believe that God's going to provide for us at all. We can't even trust him with the whole generosity deal. I mean, we have to start staking our lives on his promises. And finally, look at Mark chapter 10, verses 43 to 45. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus himself, didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If we're going to make a difference in this world, then like Elijah, we need to make the right choices. And one of the right choices is that we need to invest our lives in serving him. We need to invest our lives in serving him. We need to stop investing our lives in serving ourselves. We need to stop making investments in God so he'll serve us. And we need to start investing our lives to serve him. He's more important than protecting our self-interest. Serving him. We can't please God and we can't make a significant impact in this world in hiding You will never make a difference for him in the marketplace if no one knows you're for him. You can't do it in secret. Making a difference for God in this world demands that we go public with our faith and with his truth. That's what Elijah did. That's what we need to do. Serve God by serving others. So in order to wake our world up to Jesus like Elijah woke his world up to God, in order for us to come out of our cave and to stand on our Mount Carmel and show people 
the one true big G God's love and tell them his truth and get them involved in a relationship with him, we have to make a choice. Are we going to believe God or not? Are we going to stake our lives on his promises or not? Are we going to serve him even when there's risk in it or not? That's what Elijah did. And that's why he made such an incredible difference. And now it's our turn. Now it's our turn. Let me just tell you something. Our world is Elijah's world. And our world needs some Elijah's. You know what Elijah's are, right? Regular people who make the right choices. I know this. We qualify for the regular people deal. The only question comes down to this. Will we make the right choices? Do you know when the world will change? The world will change when God's people start believing that he's alive, that he's true to his promises, and that serving him is more important than serving ourselves. When they make the right choices, when we make the right choices, this world will change. And you know what's neat? We can walk out of this cave today making the right choices, and this world can change Today, it's on us. Let's make the right choices. So glad you were here. See you next time.